This podcast is brought to you in association with Niyogi Books. Welcome back to the Kitabi Karwan podcast. Today's guest is special in more ways than one. All of us have read books about history and chased after figures we all have heard of throughout our lives. But today's author decided to chase a figure which almost none of us have heard of. Dr. Amit Ranjan decided to write a book, a biography in fact, of John Lang, whose most infamous claim to fame is being the lawyer of Jhansi Kirani in her controversial case. But John Lang was a very interesting figure. Being a prolific writer, journalist, lawyer who settled in India at the age of 26, who learned Persian and Urdu, John Lang was an enigma and was almost lost to history until Mr. Ruskin Bond discovered his grave in Masuri back in the 70s. Without giving anything away, let's jump right into the interview. Hello, Dr. Ranjan. Welcome to the Kitabi Karwan podcast. I'm so glad to have you on today. Uh, and just to all my listeners, uh, Dr. Ranjan's book, uh, his uh, biography on John Lang is easily one of the best books I've read in the four months that have gone by in 2022. It is supremely riveting to the extent that I think it's the subject matter and the really interesting narrative style Dr. Ranjan takes, which he told me, by the way, was the actual style he used for his PhD, which I'm, again, supremely curious about. Uh, so, Dr. Ranjan, without any further ado, I'll uh, jump right to the question. Uh, generally, I ask a very different first question to all my guests, but because we're doing this in a very different way, I'll ask you another one. Uh, why John Lang? I mean, I think history is such a deep, and wide field there are so many things to explore and and trust me i'm not complaining here because i absolutely love the book but what led you to him like like i i, I was flabbergasted that john lang hasn't been written much more about so what led you to him um hi Siddharth, and thank you so much for inviting me to the podcast and thank you for your very generous introduction um jumping straight to the subject then um why john lang um is serendipity um, accident as most things in life are most important things in life are accidents now birth is an accident for that matter um, so i was uh, looking i was after something else after someone else somebody called alice richmond who died in 1882 in pune in what is now the pune university uh, lawns so I found this, um, a friend introduced me to this um, garden called the Alice Garden. And there um, I saw this grave of Alice, a lone grave, um, uh, which is very fascinating. Uh, uh, the, because it's in the middle of the university, there are all kinds of urban legends around it, that she was in love with an Indian guy. And it was a case of unrequited love, so they committed suicide or um, that a ghost haunts the campus at night in white robes in very Bollywood fashion. <laughs> Things of that order. But what enchanted me most was uh, what I saw written on her grave, which is um, died at this spot and is buried at this very spot, which was eerie and romantic at the same time. And that's what got me hunting for Alice. Um, and the question, who the ex is Alice, came to my mind like mm -hmm. a song. Um, and um, uh, for a year, I could not find anything. And then I found a poem um, in a book called The Cyclopedia of Australian Poetry, a compilation of 100 years. 
in which there was this poem called On the Death of Alice Richmond Died in Pune, 1882. And a year later, when I went to the grave, those words were not there. Those words I found in some other grave in Meerut three years later. So I won't go into the matter of Alice. Uh, it's a very interesting story and probably matter of another podcast. But I got interested to find out about Alice. I decided to find out about uh, what Australians were doing in the 19th century. Um, and so I found John Lang on the way amongst various of the Australians in the 19th century in, in India and somebody who was taking on the governor general, somebody who was very witty, who knew Persian, all of that um, uh, was riveting and uh, I knew I had found my calling for my PhD at least. Right. So, yeah, I mean, uh, now when you pu- even put it in that way, like even when we, I was reading the foreword and the preface about and the details about Alice, it just got me so fascinated with this facet of Indian history, which a lot of people aren't really aware about because uh, generally when you think of colonial times, you end up reading a lot more about as you, I think, you mentioned about civil servants or military generals, right? Or administrators, but not about... Uh, the populace who was living here and well, you know, inhabiting the country and the kind of exploits, if I can use the word, what they were up to. Uh, uh, but uh, Dr. Ranjan, I'm, uh, I mean, I can, I mean, as it was a topic of your PhD, right? And as someone who's somewhat aware of academic work, I can understand how difficult the process would have been to piece together information, let alone on a scarce subject like uh, John Lang. So, it's actually a twofold question that I have for you. That a, uh, how do you, what was the process of actually going about it? Because I'm, I'm, I guess conventional sources would have failed, particularly when it comes to something. You know, generally, if it was a more conven, something like say, uh, because it's John Lang, we can mention say the uh, Rani of Jhansi. There's so much written about her. There's so many other references you can always go back and check. But I'm guessing that's not the case with uh, John Lang. And the second question actually, yeah, and the second question kind of flows from the first one is to the extent that history in itself is such a subjective issue, right? I mean, you you can, as the famous saying goes, the victors always write the right history, but still you have the pleasure or the opportunity of exploring different facets of popular subjects. But when it comes to scarce subjects, it becomes difficult to a certain exposed factor what the truth is or what an objective stand could be so what were you know the mechanisms you kind of used for yourself uh, or to kind of keep your research in check and go about developing this sure so i was absolutely sorry on a blind blind alley like uh, in the case of uh, alice um, vis-a-vis john nang now you can find something um, (laughs) on the internet but it is um, almost simultaneous with uh, my hunt there were we can count it on fingers there are probably four or five people interested in, in john langway back in 2007 when i yeah. um, started um, uh, thinking about it uh, ruskin bond had discovered his grave in missouri 40 years um, earlier mm-hmm. in the 1960s at that point in time um, but he had written a, a short piece and, and that was about it. He didn't um, go into the details because his father had some John, John Lang books um, at home. And, and that's what piqued his interest and found his grave and everything. And 
So Lang has basically been lost for a good hundred years. Uh, the last we know of him, um, some writer talking about him in 1903. And mind you, before that, he was very famous. During his mm -hmm. lifetime, practically um, all the English-speaking world knew of him very well. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he was lost. And why he was lost, we can come to that later in a uh, in separate discussion. And so um, <clears throat> uh, it was very fascinating because that's what one does um, serious and passionate research for, something that has not been done. And, and, and so I was very excited to find out stuff. It's, it's like treasure hunt. So I started with Meerut, um, where his newspaper was published from, Agra, Masuri, where he lived during the summer, Calcutta, because Calcutta was the colonial capital. But unfortunately, uh, we are great recyclers. So they have correspond correspondences with Tilak Memorial Library in the 1960s when an Australian gentleman who wrote the first paper about John Lang, um, uh, John Earnshaw. Um, where the library had replied to him. But when I went to the library, they have nothing. They've re recycled all of the stuff. Um, and so I couldn't find much in India. And then I knew I'd have to go overseas. Um, so I was looking at either India office in Britain or uh, Australia where he was born. To um, And so it was a mix of everything. I was, um, I'm a student of literature. But in Australia, uh, on the end of a fellowship and on the Inglax grant, I was with the history department. So it's a very curious sort of um, okay. scholarship where uh, you can see also in the book that the liter literary and the historical are combined. So I had to use the orthodox methods and the orthodox methods. There's a gentleman called Victor Crittenden, um, who unfortunately passed away in 2013, a very good friend of mine. He was 86 then back in 2010 when uh, I was in Australia, who had collected a lot of John Lang's work and um, was working on it and had republished some of his novels and was hoping to uh, republish all of his work. And so he was in that hunt and he was very happy to work with me. And um, I was very excited to work with him. He'd come, uh, you know, in a proper suit every day to the library. So he had been a librarian, but was sort of an amateur scholar and romantic about John Lang. So um, he had claimed, like, you know, a lot of 19th century novels are pseudonymous. Lots of women were writing in the male pseudonyms or gentlemen did not write for profit. If you're a uh, zamindar, you cannot uh, state that um, you're earning little pennies by writing an article in a newspaper or a journal. And which is how Charles Dickens also became famous because there are lots that is not by Charles Dickens, which we think is Charles Dickens. And so uh, Mr. Crittenden claimed a lot of anonymous, pseudonymous literature for John Lang. And I had to sift through a lot of it um, to verify his claims. And in the age of internet, you put one thing and it's copied in 10 other places immediately without verifying right. sources. So it was really challenging. And I used to have these fights with him where, uh, you know, he'd be exasperated that he's helping me and I'm okay. reducing the number of works by John Lang. <laughs> so, is, um, but still, he was um, um, uh, very helpful, a father figure and helped me a lot. Uh, so that that was, I got a lot of material from him, but I had to do all kinds of things, go to local historical societies where I found stuff, go to um, synagogue. Um, uh, go to community libraries, 
meek descendants who did not have an idea of who John Lang was, read of Burke's peerage, all kinds of things where it got so unorthodox at a certain point of time that um, uh, one of the major chapters in the book, if you remember, is about Lala Jyoti Prasad. And he's the most fascinating character for me um, in, in John Lang's um, saga. So Persaud, that spelling is used only in the Caribbean now. In India, it was re-rectified to Prasad mm -hmm. after uh, the colonial <coughs> powers left. But in the Caribbean, it's still there. And so I um, contacted somebody called Moti Persaud, thinking mm -hmm. that he may be the great grandson of Jyoti Persaud or something. Now, he was in the American academia, embroiled in some case, so he thought, mm -hmm. and right. some sort of a spy, <laughs> all kinds of... <laughs> things happened and so um, okay. uh, these things kept adding flavor and uh, I discovered this uh, picture of um, uh, Lala Jyoti Prasad passed off as Nana Sahib and contacted mm -hmm. the Illustrated London News, got that picture from their office and all kinds of little tidbits. I was able to track down um, a descendant on the side of um, John Lang's daughter to okay. the present day a lady called Monique Riccardi Cubit, who is also uh, mentioned uh, in the book, and she freaked out. She thought I was also, she also thought I was some kind of a spy. Later, <laughs> I met her. She was very happy. So all these kind of things happened, and it was really a sort of a, a, a treasure hunt uh, to go about this. And I'm still at it, still trying to find stuff, um, original works of John Lang in his newspaper, etc. Yeah. The other part of the question. Um, is about um, the objectivity of history and history writing itself. Now, there are several things about writing, um, um, about the process of writing. And as I've said in an er earlier interview, me and my uh, supervisor, we brainstormed uh, over this material. Now, there's a lot of material, uh, whether to write it in a conventional form with uh, literary theory or historical uh, <clears throat> devices of historical criticism, write it in five chapters, or write it the way I eventually wrote. And my uh, supervisor, Professor Shagato Bharuri, said that um, El Pablo Picasso uh, knew how to draw portraits very well, but he chose to do what he did because he had to, uh, given his vision of art. And so you do what you have to. And so uh, eventually I chose the narrative form because. <coughs> It is different narratives in which history is written. And so narrativization itself is a sort of uh, theoretical idea. The way you tell a story, let's say, to simplify, right. is, um, is how history is written. And so I have chosen to re uh, write it in a certain manner. Somebody else may choose to write it in a certain manner, show him more of a colonialist, whereas as I have shown him as an anti-colonialist, and that is my vision, that is how I perceive mm -hmm. him. And so that subjectivity to history will always be there. But right. the thin line is the use of sources. As you can see in this 500-page book, 50 are notes, 50 are the sources. And so you have to um, refer to multiple sources, you have to... Uh, like 20 footnotes to justify one thing. So I cannot say while it is uh, Lang's novel just because Mr. Crittenden has claimed it. There must have been claims and counterclaims. Right. And, and so it's very <clears throat> history uh, writing is a, I mean, historical research is, is very tedious and also exciting. 
Um, but the writing, I have tried to uh, free from the conventional jargon of uh, history writing, um, right. because eventually history is told as, as as stories. Right. It's it's quite curious when you mention it this way because, um, so I am forgetting uh, the name of the book, but a uh, recent work by uh, Shabni Basu was also very similar in its narrative form to what you were saying and. when such books come out right and when you read and i'm i'm very excited by this format because i think it represents history in a very unique way makes it more presentable to uh, audiences who might not find it appealing in the standard older format right but uh, one has to ask uh, particularly when it comes to such subjective issues and such cast uh, topics were there places where you probably took uh, a narrative liberty if i can uh, frame it in that way in to the extent that perhaps you envisaged a narration which may or may not have happened that way it wasn't particularly disputable but it kind of suited the narrative so it went in uh and if you did uh, like <clears throat> why like why, why did you do so like what made you think that that would be the best way forward um well like i said you have to um, compare sources and <clears throat> sorry and figure out what the um what the best possible narrative and what um what is closest to fact right. of course you have to um uh, if you want to keep it interesting you have to uh, make it an interesting read like you said but at the same time uh, it has to be backed up uh, uh, with right. certain ideas so for example um uh, there's this episode of lala jyoti prasad's um, picture being passed off as uh, nana sahibs mm-hmm. now the first time the story was told william forbes mitchell a soldier much after john lang had died and that um, uh, british newspapers were looking for uh, uh, nana sahibs picture and they believed that since john lang had met him he would have a picture okay. now john lang i wouldn't go into the uh, very detailed story of it but john lang had one uh, case for lala jyoti prasad Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, won a case of thirty lakhs for him, and as mm-hmm. he got three lakhs, ten percent of it. And Lala uh, Jyoti Prasad had also given him his gold brocaded portrait, which he, which Lang used to carry with him as his good luck charm um, everywhere. And so that was the portrait when he was in England in his house, and uh, this journalist from Illustrated London News came and uh, thought that this is. Uh, Nana Sahib's picture, and Lang is alleged to have said, in the words of William Forbes Mitchell, that this guy resembles only as resembles Nana Sahib only as much as you resemble the Queen. But the journalist still wanted something, like today's journalist wants something, um, and went on to publish it. And then this mis- mistake has been replicated um, wow. across across history. So this is a story which William Forbes Mitchell did, and um, uh, uh, <clears throat> but I looked up this matter exhaustively. If there was anything else on this matter, otherwise I would just have said that um, there is this soldier who told the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to back this up, um, I had to look up the picture that appeared in the Illustrated London News. and um, uh, and it holds true that uh, nana sahib is not looking like nana sahib exactly he is this pot bellied lala 
But at the same time, the, the confusion here is whether John Lang told the journalist that this was not uh, Nana Sahib or did John Lang deliberately plant the picture as a prank, the character that he was. Right. And um, at um, uh, Henry George Keane, who has written his memoirs um, about India, mentions this incident where he says that this was a John Lang prank. So there are two takes by two different people after John Lang was dead. Right. And so as, um, as a good storyteller and as a historian, I have to present both these pictures and leave it um, um, to the reader. Right. And both uh, stories are equally plausible. And this is where um, uh, history gets um, tricky. And that is where you have to treat it as a narrative where there is uh, this forking confusion um, of this sort. I'm willing to believe that it was a John Lang prank. At the same time, John Lang is witty enough to say that, oh, this guy resembles uh, right. Nana Sahib only as much as you resemble the Queen. That also sounds like John Lang. So I've written both things. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, uh, Dr. Ranjan, let me just jump on to some fun parts of this uh, uh, of this entire journey. Because, uh, particularly because you mentioned how uh, Mr. Raskin Bond discovered the grave in Masuri. And that just, I think, strikes a nerve with, like, in a good way with all readers across India because a lot of people have just grown up reading Ruskin Bond a lot. So, uh, did you meet Mr. Bond for this? Did you, is he also a oh, yes, as, as, as Blanchard or John Lang enthusiast? Um, I mean, Mr. Bond is, um, has tons of um, stories to write, especially children's stories and ghost stories. This was one of his ghost stories that um, <laughs> he had written. And of course, uh, this uh, has been propelled by some Australian embassies' efforts in, in um, the decade of 2000-2010 and then mostly by research pushing it um, and eventually in this book form that's got this um, attention. So I did meet Mr. Bond um, um, a decade ago about mm -hmm. this and he was very excited and he told me whatever he could and uh, he also uh, told me the directions to the uh, grave. Right. And then uh, I went with eight friends, no less, yeah. <laughs> to look for John Lang's grave. And from Gun Hill, for those who yeah. Masuri, um, we climbed down to the Camel's Back Cemetery, um, like monkeys or rooftops <laughs> and things like that, because the gates of the cemetery were closed. Um, <clears throat> and eight of us hunted. Uh, it's a complicated cemetery, according to me, even though it's arranged by roughly decades and years. And a whole day of hunt and picnicking um, at the cemetery, we could not find the uh, John Lang's grave. Apparently, it's very easy to find. And now that there's some kind of interest in Lang, there's also a plaque on the grave. And um, some some people know about it, including Ganesh Sally, who's, who's a Missouri writer. I have ventured four or four five times to that um, cemetery. Um, <clears throat> and once I went with another friend of mine, Arup Chatterjee, who's also very interested in colonial stuff. But I've never been able to find the grave, and I <laughs> don't hope grave, that it remains an unfinished story. Wow! Wow! This is this is a fascinating tidbit that you weren't able to find it because <laughs> I'm sure if you go, you'll be able to find it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I guess like you know from whatever I've read written by you about John Lang, I just think in all it's truly plausible that John Lang's ghost thinks it's really funny. For you to not be able to find it and make goes out of his way I to make so. sure that you can't find the grave. <laughs> but uh, yeah. uh, so, uh, Doctor Ranjan, uh, let me just take a step back and kind of uh, 
ask you about your writing process i mean uh, i know this is uh, your the work that you did as uh, for your phd but as a writer right because this is a very interesting space that you're working in it's uh, narrative non fiction so it kind of ties in has certain links to fiction as well because so yeah. the question that i want to ask is about your writing style and process because mm-hmm. what i have realized <laughs> is that more often than not uh, i mean there are when people are writing fiction it's largely you know by a stroke of inspiration and thoughts flowing through them which they need to pen down and there's no uh, organized structure to it right they just write and then structure comes later while for academia as it is for like any kind of college work it's about structuring your time like you know planning researching and structuring and writing it down and then there's this mm-hmm. third job kind of people who are kind of a mix of both or just don't really have schedules they write they do things as they please which bucket mm-hmm. do you fall into right and what's your uh, i know is there a cliche writing cliche that you kind of follow or is there a i know how how who are you so, as a writer um, sure so um <clears throat> i um, I, i write in one go okay uh, it cannot be written like people would generally take uh, their five years of phd and write one chapter go back to their supervisor uh, revise the chapter and so on and so forth as you can see this is a sort of uh, crazy form of writing that runs in small chapters big chapters sub chapters it's uh, the original is around 50 chapters mm-hmm. actually it's 18 but subdivided and so it's mm-hmm. more than 50s and um so um and also if you see it does not uh, follow a chronological scheme of lang's life it's written like a novel um, uh-huh. um almost in the genre of marvelous realism or what is called magic realism in the english uh, canon where things jump back and forth in time and that's the only trait of magic realism that i'm uh, referring to so i haven't i've have gone as a novel does through association um starting with um uh, let's say tom taylor um, <clears throat> because of tom taylor's uh, plagiarism jumping to abraham lincoln who died watching uh, tom taylor's play to jumping to bernard shaw um, who uh, also did not acknowledge his debt to john lang jumping to kipling and so it begins with literary allusions and literary debt that the world owes john lang rather than going to when he was born what his life trajectory was and all that <clears throat> and i think the interesting way to st- tell stories is um, is this associative um, way uh, the way we think as um, modernism believed is that uh, the later genres refined modernism in that it should also connect with the reader and um, uh, so my uh, writing here as you rightly said is is not um, exactly in the uh, realm of uh, history writing um, but there is something called fictio criticism these days where uh, fiction is written along with its criticism meta criticism within and right. so on the other hand there is creative non fiction so this is non fiction but this is history this is serious history there is nothing that is not i have not taken any liberties in terms right. of introducing a character or introducing a love affair between the rani of jhansi and john lang as the television serial on ztv did right. um, <clears throat> there are no liberties taken with history at all but at the same time um, i try to make it funky and groovy like john lang's um, 
character and i think it's possible without taking uh, uh, liberties of fiction uh, to take it in a poetic manner uh, many uh, critics of poetry and poets themselves have argued that poetry is close to truth and so if you take a little bit of poetic license without compromising on the fact of sources um, you uh, you can achieve uh, a style of writing in creative fiction which is very close to uh, uh, to novel writing and as for schedules um, very bad with it as you know i was hunting this and that so today i'd be meeting john lang's descendants tomorrow i'd be emailing with the person third day i'd be wandering around the grave graveyard and, and things like that and the book was actually written in one go um, in four months so okay. it was okay. on the edge it was on the edge uh, four months before the submission um, so 170000 words in four months which uh, was a lot of work um, an average of uh, 12 hours plus work on those um, four months like i said i cannot write in parts that um, <clears throat> the flavor right. would go so right. it was tedious editing it when the publishers uh, wanted it to cut down from 170000 to 100000 because um, um writing can happen um because you're high on on writing and on the passion of of the matter but uh, editing is a boring job you have to be um, uh, and also when you have to cut down almost 60% of it uh, then you also have to retain the flavor that language Uh, right. that's very challenging so actually editing took one year writing took four months <laughs> that's i i think i think for all budding writers who are listening to the podcast which are a few i think that's one of the biggest lessons that often comes away that editing is a task when it comes to it and clearly you've demonstrated i think there's a hemingway so i wish which... that this had not been edited and i hope mm-hmm. uh, i mean apart from the basic editing uh, this right. has been reduced to half its size and i hope that in future um, uh, i'll be able to publish the entire thing and and make the readers suffer double this lunch <laughs> i I, I, i don't think readers would be suffering because i think people who will buy that book will be people who will be super interested after reading this i guess right. but sure, uh, <laughs> but yeah i think i mean it just reminds me as i was saying of a hemingway quote i'm not too sure till date if it's actually something hemingway said but i always i just it kind of goes with what hemingway behaved as like uh, mm-hmm. right drunk edit sober <laughs> which was just meant to reflect the entire process as you were talking about when you're writing you're just high on it and you just let it flow but you have to edit your work out into a very somber manner uh, but talking so, of um, hemingway if yes. you don't mind i just came back from miami and key west is um, on the outskirts of miami and mm-hmm. 250 kilometers uh, roughly and um, i've lived in miami thrice and been to key west um, six or seven times that's where hemingway's house is which is why i'm mentioning right. yes. um and anybody who goes to key west goes to hemingway's house right and much like john lang's grave i have reached hemingway's house but never gone inside it <laughs> by the time i reach it it's always shut, shut um and so what is generally a 4 hour journey somehow gets completed in 8 or 9 hours <laughs> and by the time it's it's a nine so like john lang's grave um telling you also eludes me <laughs> i i just think i i think this is absolute just john lang deciding 
that okay this is one more person i need to prank in life <laughs> and he's trying to do this with you uh but dr ranjan that's that's actually very interesting the kind of life you have lived the kind of uh, stories you've seen and the people you've met it's supremely fascinating uh but it kind of uh makes me think again because uh, as you can see i read a lot like i absolutely love reading and i just like to believe that writers need to be good readers to kind of to be able to write stuff so um are you a bibliophile too or is it just like academic books that you read or and if if you uh, do like to read what kind of books do you read how did you start reading as a child if you could just give us an insight into that so sure. um, um yeah i do read uh, a lot um and um, different kinds of stuff um fiction non fiction poetry and um, other stuff um, as well curious stuff as well the poetry um, bit was quite uh, obvious when you mentioned that you were reading that encyclopedia of australian poets yeah. from a particular set of 10 20 yeah. years 200 years ago yeah yeah um and also movies i think contribute uh, a lot to um, right uh, writers um, ideas um uh it it depends it's um, off and on what um, i'm interested in uh, sometimes one is interested in latin american fact- fiction because it's, it's so remarkable uh, sometimes uh, victorian novels uh, john lang what into victorian novels are a different kind of victorian uh, novels right. of the lang kind right. uh, which are very different for the sheer um, um ornamentation and and the use of language was so different in the 19th century um <clears throat> and um, uh i like reading random stuff the most apart from of course being an english professor one has one has had to and as a student of literature from bachelor's to phd one has had to go through all kinds of um, uh, literary canons the old uh, british or 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 the new writing from across the world from africa from um, uh, very interesting parts of the world right um but um i really like reading random stuff so for example in john lang there's this character called uh, andrew thomas turton peterson attp mm-hmm. who was uh, very interested in spiritualism spiritualism is basically planchet science where you call a spirit and um, right. ask them questions and so he caught a guy off the street called william lawrence wl and uh, the medium is called sensitive in that canon of spiritualism and so he invokes people from aristotle to his own time to lord clive to john lang to lalajyoti prasad all those people who are dead then ask them questions so it's it's world history according to attp <laughs> uh, heard through spirits communicated by wl and um, um or i'll give you another example of um born again dr walter sinku md mm-hmm. whose prefix is doctor and um, suffix is md <laughs> his doctor in both sides he is a reincarnationologist and his book was born again as well i went to two of his book launches of the same book oh. the same book was launched <laughs> twice at the same venue in delhi and my poetry book is being launched twice because it was launched in america in march and it will be launched in india in april but his book was launched at the same venue 
<laughs> twice in subsequent years and basically the idea is that people retain their um, um facial features and their inherent personalities the gender may change um, not normally and the soul may have migrated before one person died so i'm bringing this up because um, he claims that he's very interested in bollywood he claims that shahrukh khan was sadhana bose who was a um, uh, 1940s actress a very interesting character from a very remarkable bengali family connected to subhash chandra bose etc right now of course anybody would sort of junk this book but <laughs> for me it was an entry into sadhana bose's life <laughs> and uh, and playing around with this idea of um, shahrukh khan being sadhana bose and he was actually asked this question right um that Walter Simkiewicz claims that you are um, mm-hmm. uh, Sadhana Bose. He said, no. and he actually replied to it. Mm-hmm. Um, Shahrukh Khan said, "Oh, but how can I be Sadhana Bose? She uh, died eight years after um, um, I was born." Uh, Walter Simkiewicz answers that question by saying, "Oh, oh, yeah." Answer it about this character, but uh, about other characters, and in an unpublished uh, paper, which I hope to uh, publish somewhere. <laughs> I have argued that well, her soul had already migrated to Shahrukh Khan, and which is why she died wretched and poor on the streets of Calcutta in 1973, 80 years after his birth. So uh, I'm just making a uh, light of it. Uh, <clears throat> um, I do read a lot of serious stuff, but it's it's fun to read <laughs> these alternative kinds of things, which uh, right. give you a special peek into. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Well, uh, Doctor Anjan, we've unfortunately come to the end of the podcast. It was absolutely lovely talking to you. I just have one question before we leave. Uh, you mentioned uh, you have a book launch, uh, your poem poetry collection launching in April. If you could just tell us a bit about that, and if we can look forward to some of your other work, and if you could tell us something about that. So, um, unfortunately, I did not keep them in handy right now. <laughs> Maybe you can add pictures to them. Um, so uh, the first poetry collection called Find Me Let It Go in I'm almost thirty came out in twenty eighteen which as you can guess is a sort of a tribute to um, Let It Go in but um, um, that that is the first poetry collection and the second poetry collection is between let's say the Bay of Bengal and the Bay of Biscayne between um, uh, Bhuvaneshwar where I spent a lot of time um, and uh, Miami where I spent a lot of time so basically it's an ocean themed uh, poetry mm-hmm. collection um, that came out last month when I was still in US and um, I hope it comes out in April uh, I mean it's done it just depends on the publisher when he is able to bring it out either April end or May it's called the knot of jagadrot <laughs> or um, the mystery of miami mambo sexuality uh, if you want me to explain the intriguing title um jagannath is um, the misspelling of jagannath by the british and then uh, it acquired a meaning of its own jagannath is anything that is heavy and difficult to move much like right. jagannath yatra right. and so how we are knotted by jagannath and also uh, because uh, jagannath doesn't have hands jagannath doesn't have hands right but still it seems and so uh, uh, it's easy for the divine to wash off their responsibility in acts of human beings by claiming they don't have hands <laughs> um and the mystery of miami mambo sexuality is is a play on 
Michel Foucault's history of sexuality is the mystery of sexuality. Um, Miami Mambo, because um, I did meet a lot of Mambos in, in Miami. <laughs> Miami is, uh, people think of it as, as merely a party city, but there's very um, deep esoteric um, spiritual traditions that hide uh, under the cover of that um, South Miami beach. Uh, so that was just an explanation of this title. So it's called The Knot of Jagannot and yeah. it will be available end of this month. Okay. Okay. Well, I mean, those sound absolutely fascinating, just like John Lang. Uh, I actually can't wait to read both of them uh, and I will be checking them out. But uh, for today, thank you for joining us, Dr. Ranjan. This was absolutely wonderful. Uh, I we loved having you on our podcast. And the links to the book are available in the comment section and in the about section for this podcast and on YouTube. Please check it out. And uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Siddharth. It was um, a pleasure and it's wonderful having this um, conversation. Look forward to uh, many more such conversations. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this podcast, please check us out on all our social media platforms. We are available across all podcasting platforms on YouTube, on Instagram. You can find us at the rate Kitabi Karwan on Instagram or just search Kitabi Karwan on Google or a platform of your choice and you'll find us. We carry out Instagram lives, giveaways. We talk about books, we talk to bibliophiles, talk to authors and basically try and create a reader's world through all of our platforms. Do check us out and don't forget to like, share and subscribe. Thank you.